Desideratum is a Latin word, meaning things that are desired as essential or fundamental. The tradition of and human condition of needing storytelling inspired this podcast. Just longing for stories to share and wishing for moments with gifted storytellers. The Desideratum podcast celebrates the art of telling and the journey of listening with narrator Teresa Bakken and her author, artist, and wordsmith friends. Episode 2, Aperture. Talking with Daniel Wade is a wander, a winding path. I've heard conversations like this described as a stream of consciousness. But for Daniel, calling it a sea of consciousness might be better. You'll hear him talk about the sea and feeling the salt in the air. It's one of my favorite things he says here. You'll also hear him talk about Ireland's long history of oral storytelling, how it echoed across 500 years into open mic nights that shaped his identity before COVID. He will share how he's coping, how he is stubbornly hopeful, and keeping his eye out for a lighthouse. Your story today is from Embers and Earth, Daniel's spoken word album. The story is called Aperture, which is an opening where light passes through. Daniel's Aperture is about his grandmother's last days with dementia, about its darkness engulfing her. I'm grateful to hear this story in his own voice. Daniel is a poet, a playwright, a debut novelist, and like all of us, he's hard to put in one category. He's somewhere in between. As an Irishman, I have this formidable literary history behind me anyway, having the sheer sense of what of the centuries just rolling back behind me. And what I have noticed is that for a long time, there's a view of Ireland as still being very rural, which it is in lots of ways. It is very much rural, even though we have five different urban centres. The only real sense of uh, the only real city that people consider we have here is Dublin, even though there's Dublin, Belfast, Galway, Limerick and Cork. And um, there's still not a sense of us being a very industrialised or very modern country. And if you look at our tourist promotions, you'll still see these rolling green hills, you know, those those lovely blue skies that only come out like maybe for five seconds each day. <laughs> so, do you consider yourself a country or a city artist? I'd say mostly my, my aesthetic is very much urban, but I would have gone down to Wexford an awful lot as a child as well. So I have some experience of what rural life is like too. So I don't really, I'm kind of somewhere in between. And so you have the country, you have the city, but you are also informed, I think, by the sea. Oh, yes. Yes, because we are an island and we're an island race and and. Virtually every major historical event in this in this country, from the first settlers landing here, St. Patrick to first arriving to, you know, Spanish Armada, mm-hmm. uh, the Vikings, the famine, the famine ships, everything. For me, I just grew up very with a very acute sense of that that's what we are. We're, we're we're an island people. We live on an island. We're surrounded on all four corners by water, mm-hmm. and it's um it's it's very strange. I could not go somewhere. I couldn't go very far inland without just feeling a bit out of sorts because like what's something's not right here and simple fact is i can't feel i can't smell the salt on the wind you would physically know if you were too far 
from the ocean. It's such a, that it's ingrained in who you are. Um, yeah. There's something about written word and spoken word that should take you on a journey. Mm. Uh, and I think that's a gift. Well, it's an, it's an interesting thing with the, because I'm, again, I'm somewhere in between with spoken word and written word because, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a page poet and always have been, but at the same time, I would have cut my teeth certainly in my, my late teens, early 20s, I would have gone out to various arts nights and poetry nights in Dublin City, which we have, or we did, pre-COVID, we had a pretty vibrant scene. Hmm. So it's, 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 it's just very easy to take that stuff for granted, but it was where I kind of, I, I honed my, whatever performance skills I have, that's where I kind of honed them. You can go to a city and, and you can throw a stone anywhere you want and, and there'll be at least 20 different establishments that'll have like open mic nights poetry, spoken word evenings, folklore sessions. And that was that's, that for me was quite normal that we had all these different ones on at any given time of the week. Now with spoken word and the kind of the rise that happened over the last, I think, 10, 15 years, we saw something of a resurgence of that. But this time it was now in, in bars and among ordinary people, as opposed to, you know, someone being paid by the local lord to, you know, extol his virtues. And what to me, what that says is, okay, the two are quite different in a lot of ways. And obviously they're 500 years apart. But that being said, I mean, it's still still testament to our our culture as an, as a very as, a, as an oral people. We are we have a culture of the spoken word. It's wonderful that you have tapped into that. And so the story that we're going to feature today is a, is part of a spoken word album that you produced. Um, mm. And there are it's a, it has great variety in terms of the kind of storytelling, the, the places and the journey that you take people on. Um, okay. The one that uh, we chose, could you just set up for us what we're going to hear first? Well, Aperture was written in response to my grandmother, my grandmother Phyllis, who's been, who died in 2014. And um, she was getting very senile towards the end of her life. There was a sustained, I think, three, four year period where she was on the decline, as we say. Um, and to watch her decline in that way was, you know, was devastating because I remember her being, you know, she would have looked after me when I was a child and when I, when I was scared and when I was, and she was always very kindly. And then seeing her kind of just, um, I suppose, become engulfed by this thing. And there'd be moments where she'd be, she'd be hallucinating, you know, people in the room with her. She, she'd be talking to the air beside her. She confused me from my uncle and my uncle for me. And so Aperture was kind of just written about those last few months of her life where she was, Things were getting steadily worse. Aperture. My grandmother, hunched back in her chair, babbling obsessively to herself, words cut loose of import, fog-bound by the haze, pervading her senility's labyrinth. Curtain and window sealed off the praying dark. Her memory was now a white ether, into which all names, all faces had sunk. Two nights a week, I'd head down in the overcast hour and watch over the changes brought on by her brain's swelling aperture, nightmares that hatched hourly for her like coughs. Sky news flickered and flared on the widescreen. It was one of the few things she still enjoyed being able to read the news ticker flitting by. The fireplace burned lily-white with cohorts of flame, framed photos of people she barely knew or recognised 
titivated the mantelpiece. In back, the kettle seethed, belching pilasters of steam. Once or twice, she threatened to call the guards on me if I didn't leave, until she realised it was only me, sitting across from her. Her pills were stockpiled in a china jar, to be taken every hour. Before swallowing and washing them down, she blessed herself, like a woman awaiting trial. And in minutes, all her disquiet withered to the hush of dreams. Her very world had shrunk to this house, to the dusky kitchen and living room, where the fire's shelved heat took hold. The bed she would walk fretfully to, the trees outside, fringed with their morning dose of birdsong. The house grunted with a living cold she was unable to escape. She wore at least three different cardigans, even though the heating was on full blast. Despite this, she kept saying she wanted to go home, that she couldn't stay here and needed to leave soon. Phantasms roiled from her head as if in ceremony, speaking to her in smeared tongues, and she clasped her fretful hands together, afraid of everything and nothing. She thought her mother was still alive. She thought her daughter, my mother, was her sister. She couldn't put a name to my face. She forgot a great deal about herself, fathoms deep in the clutch of her condition. She would be dead before the year was out. The wind would continue to rave frostily. Who was I to witness her devastating change? May one mind know the decay of another. Who was I to keep watch over her who'd once taken care of me? Nightly she'd last through it. Long-standing life inching to death's cusp the dark swirling about her like incense, closer to her now than any of us hope to be. It's very sensitive, and yet it's also, uh, I can feel your frustration about it too, the unfairness of it. Yeah, and it's known that you can't really do anything about it. I mean, your instinct, of course, is to try and fix the problem, and then and then eventually I had to realise, I can't, and... Um, I'm glad it was at least there, you know, that I didn't try to shy away from it either, because I could have easily taken that option too, but I, I decided, no, my, she's looked after me many times as a child, you know, at least I can do is give it back, even if she's not even aware. doesn't matter if she's not aware, she still needs, she needs our care now, basically, and that was the, that's how it was, and, and it was like that up until the morning that, that she died. So, yeah, it took a toll, but, you know, we had to, that's that's another great thing about humanity, I think, and something that I think COVID has, has um, thrown a light on, People are actually great in times of crises because they will, they will pull together. You know, there is a sense of, well, here's the lifeboat and mm. pull people in if you can. Yes, yeah. and you were very young. So you were uh, a college um, student. Um, mm. this, our sense of time is different. You know, yes. uh, a year feels like forever, uh, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you find it during this last year that parts of you were they able to flourish or, and other parts maybe were diminished or muted? I think it's just the way I'm wired really. I'm quite, 
and quite well adapted to something like this to actually being in confinement for months on end because that's kind of what the job entails as a writer anyway so you know if I've, I've had years of, of practice in some ways in terms of my my work and my writing I've been I've, I've been firing stuff out in all cylinders so I'm currently working on, on an historical novel which is um something of a western set in the late 18th century I think Clint Eastwood with an Irish accent and you're probably that's you'll probably be halfway there Okay, wait. I want to repeat that. He's working on a historical novel set in the 18th century with a character like Clint Eastwood with an Irish accent. This debut novel, called A Land Without Wolves, is due out in October. Before that, in April, Daniel is contributing to the literary festival Baudelaire 200 in Dublin. It's a live Zoom event, of course. He'll join artists from all over the world to celebrate poet Charles Baudelaire by using his particular perspective from 200 years ago to look at today's world. So it's no better time in some ways for Baudelaire to be celebrated because a lot of his stuff, a lot of his poetry is very much tapping into that feeling of something very strange is going on, you know, there's a, there's a change in the air and we're not sure we like it. And, you know, you seem very comfortable in the past. It seems very relatable. uh, What I've read that you've written that takes place 200, 300 years ago. So how do you tap into the authenticity of that? I, I guess just a, a lot of research and also remembering that, well, grief is grief, no matter what area you're from. And, you know, humanity, I'm sure customs change and understandings change and attitudes change and norms change. But, you know, our, our core humanity doesn't change. We still we still grieve. We still celebrate. We still suffer. We still, you know, we find ways of giving expression to that, you know, hmm. the sense that life actually is precious and we can rebuild. Hopefully we can emerge just kind of knowing, well, all right, we got through that. You know, that's uh, we survived the pandemic. We survived this horrible period in human history and that's what that's what our what will define us whether we want it to or not i think anyway i'm, I'm a i'm a i'm a misguided optimist at the best of times so <laughs> i like to think of us as sailors in a way and it's a, it's a lot it's a stormy night but you know there has to be a lighthouse eventually somewhere and just keep keep your eyes peeled you know even if the the wave keeps crashing over it's going to be a there's a lighthouse somewhere you know so that's that's how i that's how i try to see us we're we're just looking for the lighthouse so. i love that I really appreciate your your spoken word. The way that you take people on a journey is really a wonderful thing. Thank you for your time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. It was great to see you. You too. Thanks. Goodbye. Bye-bye. You can hear more and read more of Daniel's storytelling on his website. All his links and a link to the Baudelaire 200 Festival are in the show notes. And on the Desideratum Facebook page, there's an old picture of his grandmother Phyllis on vacation on a boat in the New York Harbor, surrounded by light. Thanks for listening. <laughs>